the more that you can communicate and be very clear about who it is that you help, how you help them, the problems that you solve, the results and outcomes and value that you can create, the more business you will typically, at least the more conversations you will typically have. And then more of those conversations can turn into actual paid engagements. Is your current success putting a lot of demands on you? If you're good at what you do, and you are, then everyone wants you. But that's no way to scale. If you're delivering spectacular results, you should be commanding higher fees, working with only the best clients. Welcome to the Hands Off CEO Podcast, where world-class agency owners and consultants learn how to fully monetize their expertise and scale profits by doing less. Here's your host, Mandy Ellison. Hi, this is Mandy Ellison, host of the Hands Off CEO Podcast. Today, I have on as our guest, Michael Zabersky from Consulting Success. We've been friends for a number of years and I've been watching him build his company and even before we met several years back. And I've been really impressed with what Michael's done with leading Consulting Success and really just wanted to share his background. He's advised organizations like Financial Times, Dow Jones, RBC, and helped Panasonic launch new products into global markets. But more importantly, he has helped over 700 consultants from around the world in 75 different agencies add six and seven figures to their annual revenues. And Michael's also an Amazon bestseller. One of the more recent books, Act Now, How Successful Consultants Thrive During Chaos and Uncertainty. I am just so excited to have Michael here on the show. Welcome to the Hands Off CEO podcast, Michael. Andy, great to uh, be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we've kind of talked about is what can we share? Because there's so much that you guys do over at Consulting Success and you guys have such fantastic client success stories and you guys really have a lot you're doing. But one of the things that we were talking about that seems like every consultant could use advice on how do you generate better quality sales consistently? How do you keep that consistent sales growth, especially when you're dealing with the ebbs and flows when you're working when you really get focused inside of projects and then you finish the projects and you're like, ah, we need more business. So how do you be able to consistently keep that pipeline full in a consulting company? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's interesting because you know you can talk to many consultants who, when you say, well, you know, what do you do for marketing? Because they're, they're busy, they're successful. They'll say, well, I don't do marketing. And it's because they generate a lot of referrals. They have word of mouth working for them. But there's always something going on before that. And part of that is that you do great work. You're consistently delivering value for your clients. But most of these people who respond with, you know, I have no real marketing strategy, or I don't really reach out to people. They're very good at having conversations. or They're very good at showing up in the places where their ideal clients go to get information. And so that might look like them giving presentations to different industry associations. It might be them speaking at conferences. It might be even just writing articles for different trade publications or for their own blog, if it's well-read or well-received or there's visitors. So there's, there's always something that's going on. And I think that the biggest thing, when people hear about how do we generate sales consistently or how do we generate leads consistently, these days, most people are hoping that there's gonna be like a silver bullet or something quick that you can do, like do this strategy on Instagram or use this on LinkedIn. But for most consulting businesses, it's not about that. And so I think the, the core answer that I hope will be most helpful and valuable for people is that it's not so much about which method that you use to drive more high value leads 
that create conversations, it actually begins with your mindset. I know before we kind of hit record, Mandy, like we were talking about mindset a bit and how we both know and have experienced how powerful mindset is if you want to grow to you know multiple millions in terms of having a consulting business. The mindset that is most critical when we think about marketing is the understanding and the acceptance and even embracing the idea that you need to be active. You can't just sit still. And so that might be active in terms of going out and having conversations. That might be active in being prolific in creating your own intellectual property, sharing your perspectives, your ideas, your insights, creating content and putting it out in the world. Or it might be just being active, trying new things from a marketing perspective to see what works and what doesn't work. What tends to hold most people back from seeing the level of success they desire from a marketing perspective is that they're typically overthinking all the different possibilities and options that exist and then not actually implementing enough. And implementation doesn't need to be some fancy funnel or some marketing quiz or a whole bunch of paid advertising because Most consulting businesses that are even generating millions of dollars do very little in the paid media space. It's not that you don't need to or that you shouldn't. You certainly can. And in some cases, it can be helpful, but most don't require that. And so what you do really require is being consistent with who is your ideal client? How can you get in front of them in the most kind of direct and shortest path possible? And then making sure that you're taking the steps to go out and have those conversations. Yeah, I love that advice. The consistency is definitely something that I see missing with consulting companies that aren't seeing the results that they want. And one of the other challenges that I see with referrals is that you can get referrals, but they're not always the kind of referrals that you want. And you can't really predict when they're going to come in. Correct. And having your business be at the mercy of referrals, is kind of scary. I think we saw some of that even just a couple of years ago when things are really changing and all of a sudden referrals weren't coming in like they were before. Have you noticed that that was kind of a wake-up call for a number of consultants you've worked with? Certainly. Anytime you become overly reliant on anything in your business, that's a big threat. That's a real danger. And that's what many people experience over the last two to three years is if they generate the majority of their leads from, let's say, speaking engagements or going and doing in-person workshops, all of a sudden you couldn't do that anymore or it was much more difficult. And so if you didn't have a community, if you didn't have a way to interact or to get in front of your ideal clients without that one reliance, right, you were in trouble. So, you know, when we talk about referrals, there's two kind of big themes or ways to look at referrals. There's what we could call passive referrals and then active or more proactive referrals. And when people tend to say, yeah, you know, my business is based on referrals, most of those people are not intentionally very active or proactive in going out and getting referrals. But that's the opportunity is that if you're already generating good opportunities through referrals, through word of mouth, through doing great work, you want to ask yourself, well, out of all the clients that I've worked with, which are the ones that I actually enjoy working with the most? Which are the most profitable? Which are the ones that have the greatest kind of demand and and need? And get very, very specific and clear about what are the characteristics and criteria of those people and then figure out, well, how do you ask for more of those types of referrals or where can you go to get more of, of those referrals? So if we talk about you know, marketing and creating consistent growth and sales, that's really what I I would encourage people to be thinking about is identify what's working in your business, if you're already an established business, and then lean more into what is working for you. So even I think, you know, Maddie, we've likely both seen this multiple times over, that as somebody becomes more successful, their consulting business is going well, they're growing, 
it can become very easy to sit back and go, yeah, I'm in a good place. And you know, I don't need clients. I'm booked for the next quarter or even the next two quarters. What's well, fantastic. But life doesn't always go according to plan. And if you sit back and you just go with the flow, you might all of a sudden find that the one or two projects that you were hoping that would come in or that were planned to come in, all of a sudden get paused or delayed or, or don't start. Or maybe your highest producing client decides that they need to end their engagement earlier or make a change to your budget. And so this is why it's so important that regardless of how well things are going, you always need to keep your foot on what I call the marketing pedal. You always need to apply some form and, and level of pressure. And it might be less than the earlier stages of your business where you really need to push hard because you didn't have as many clients. And so therefore you weren't delivering. And so it made sense that the majority of your time was in that marketing realm or spent there. As you become busy and you're delivering more on client projects, you're going to have less time for marketing. But that doesn't mean that you should be neglecting marketing. And that doesn't matter whether you are extremely successful or just kind of you know, somewhere in the middle, it's so key to be consistent with that activity of getting out there in front of your ideal clients on an ongoing basis. Absolutely. More than that, just too, because most people listening to our podcast, they have companies that they want to scale. They want to scale a multi-million dollar company. You know, just the idea of hands-off CEO. Nobody who's following hands-off CEO is thinking, oh, well, you know what? I just want a couple more sales and I want to just buy feedback. This is not the mindset of people who want to scale their companies. So couple things that I wanted to add to this is that having that ongoing lead flow, it gives you the confidence to increase your prices, which is critical now, right? Because what it costs us to do a service now is quite a bit higher than what it did six months ago, even. If our rates aren't going up, we're actually making less. And then looking at you just being able to pick and choose the clients you want to work with. You know, as consultants, one of the nice things about that's built into the model is some scarcity, right? Because there's a certain limit to how much we can work, which is also a, a challenge to capacity, right? But gives us that opportunity to really decide who we get to work with. Yeah, completely. Having more business, actually, I just was speaking to a client in Germany last week who has this exact problem right now is that he doesn't need any more business for the rest of the year. Like He's already booked. So he's wondering, how does he deal with all of the new opportunities that are coming his way when He's not looking to grow and add a big team. That's just for him. He's really good where he is. So how does he continue to benefit from everything that he's created and not lose those opportunities? So yeah, it's a great thing to be in a position where there's a lot more opportunity than you can potentially handle. It gives you choice. It gives you options. But the worst place to be in is where you don't have enough opportunities, where you don't have enough leads. And then you start taking on the wrong clients, the wrong business and doing things that you really shouldn't be doing. Right. And I find that that turns into this downward spiral because you take on the wrong clients, you can't get great results with them because they're not showing up and doing the work. They're not really partnering with you for success or they might not have a big enough budget for you to actually do the work. Meanwhile, you see the results start to go down and then it just, it starts to compound. And then those next sales, when you get in front of those ideal prospects and they're like, what can you do for us? You're like, well, that's where I see consultants be kind of a little bit more passive in their sales processes because their confidence has been eroded from working with the wrong type of clients. Definitely. I mean, the other part too, is if you take on projects or clients that are not ideal, then you're not going to be able to create case studies or receive testimonials. Like even if you do good work, it might be the wrong work. And so now you've built this case study or received a testimonial from a type of client or from a type of work that is not what you actually want to do more of. And so you can't now really use that because it's going to attract, again, more of the same stuff. And that's not what you want. So 
right. it is challenging at the early stages. I mean, I think it's important that we acknowledge that, that if you don't have a lot of lead flow coming in, if you don't have the revenue that you want yet, you may at the early stages of your business need to make some of those sacrifices to kind of get you over the hump. But for most people who already have an established business, you want to be very careful to take short-term kind of revenue and profits just for the sake of cash flow. If you're in a tight situation, that's okay. If you need to kind of survive to the next day or next month, but you really want to be focused on taking just the ideal client because that ideal client not only will be higher value, will be more profitable, but now you're going to receive testimonials, case studies from the right kinds of people. And that provides more proof for you to go out and then get more of those same people. Totally. And I think this kind of comes back to the mindset of it too, because there's there's a bit of the scarcity mindset that we it's pretty easy to be in when we're starting our companies, when we're we're getting things off the ground. And when you're like you're saying, making some of those sacrifices, because in the earlier stages, you have to do what you have to do to be able to, to make ends meet and move things forward. And it doesn't and it means you're still doing good work, but it might not be the work that you want to be doing long term, right? But I notice that there's this real shift at this point where I've seen consulting agency CEOs get to a point where they they don't really make that shift. They need to move their mindset into like, I've got to take whatever we can take to us really consciously choosing. These are the exact type of clients we want to go after, like you were sharing. Yeah. Some cases, they just don't know what they don't know, which is why it's important to work with someone like yourself or to get a coach or support to show you and, and open up your you expand your, your mind and kind of the, the possibilities. Once you land a client, let's say at a significantly higher fee level or investment level than what you've asked for before, all of a sudden it just instantly proves to you that you can do it. And the only thing that's typically holding people back from making these selections, even though it can feel challenging to narrow in and say no to potential business, what that does is it now opens you up and allows you to say yes to the right kind of business. And that right kind of yeah. business, now as you start getting more of that, you're going to, the only thing you're going to then end up doing is looking back going, I wish I would have made that shift sooner. I, would, I wish I would have been more clear on who do I not work with? And then also, you know, who do we want to focus on working with and starting to make sure that as we're delivering greater and greater value, that you're also capturing, you know, higher levels of compensation. Once you have that, you're never going to go back and you're going to be able to continue to increase your fees as you're able to deliver greater value for that truly ideal client. Yeah, Absolutely. So I'd love to hear an example of a case study of how you've seen the lead flow increase. Because you know you were sharing about some of the different strategies that you can be doing to consistently stay in front of your ideal client. If someone's putting together, anyway, I'd love to just hear some different examples of what you've seen work in the past. So, I mean, the first thing I'll mention is that there is no one way to do marketing effectively. The most important thing I would say is, again, that there's a big distinction between what you will see in terms of common marketing practices that people talk about online, most of those are geared to consumers or they're geared to very, very small companies or individuals and not organizations. The mindset, the marketing, the actual tactics and strategy to reach buyers of consulting services or advisory services is very different. And so it's important to understand that and to embrace that. That's a great distinction. Yeah. That's a really great distinction. So once we get clear on that, then I mean, I can tell you about, well, let's just go over a few examples. So one is a data and analytics consultancy in New York that got very, very clear on who their ideal client was, got very clear on the insights and ideas that they wanted to be the source of in their industry, 
And every single day for a period of about one month, the founder of of this consulting firm recorded a video and posted it to LinkedIn. It started with that. He did every single day. He was walking to drop off his daughter at school. He would drop her off. On his way back, he would just stand somewhere like in a you know building or something in front of a building or before going up to his apartment or whatever it was, and he'd record a video. The key thing with the video is that he was using what we call specialized content. So a lot of content that you see online is general content. And so he would just be talking about at a high level, here's data, here's analytics, here's AI, whatever. There's a lot of that information already online. So there's nothing unique in that that's going to be distinctive or to distinguish him from others talking about those same concepts. So what he really focused on doing was delivering value in those videos for his specific ideal client. And as he did that consistently, day in, day out, you know, this was a little while back. So video on LinkedIn was definitely not as popular as it is today, but he was able to generate a significant amount of lead flow. And he ended up winning a few very high value clients from Fortune 500 organizations. And the reason why it worked is because he was putting out unique insights and ideas into the world. He was very clear about who it was for. That then started to draw in those people who were engaging in that content. That now got him in front of others that he did not even know. That led to people going, this company, this person clearly knows something in this area. We should probably talk to them. And they reached out, had a conversation that turned into business. That's one example. Another example is a client in Europe who is not allowed by law to send emails to prospective clients. And so that created a unique challenge. Like, well, what do you do if you're not actually allowed legally to send emails? So what we devised in this scenario was to create a direct mail campaign. And he was targeting midsize. So typically, when I say midsize, in his case, about $50 million to about $200 million or euro manufacturing companies. And it was a direct mail campaign that provided all kinds of, again, unique insights, ideas, and value for his specific ideal client. He also put some gifts, a book in one case, as part of that campaign. And within about four to five months, he had spent maybe about 10,000, the equivalent of $10,000, but he had already landed one client that was a six-figure value for him. And he had many additional leads as a result of that. So that's another example. We, we could just kind of keep going, man. Like there's tons of these examples. The big thing that I hope would be maybe most valuable for everybody is that the medium or the format is not the most important thing. So I can share with you examples of direct mail, physical packages going in the mail. It could be LinkedIn. It could be just writing content. It could be leveraging speaking opportunities or presentation opportunities through different industry associations. But the common thread among all of these is that each of these consultants and firm owners got very, very clear about who their ideal client was, got very clear about what pain point or problem or challenge they have or had, and then also shared insights and ideas and data and perspectives that ultimately was valuable in the mind of the ideal client. And so this right away differentiates them from others. Others lead with, here's our methodology, here's our solution, here's what we do, but they haven't yet communicated or provided a lot of value. But when you start off the relationship by 
delivering a lot of value by really sharing those unique perspectives with your ideal client, they start to see you as different. And when you do that through the frame of everything you're delivering is specifically for them, that's the game changer, right? And so it's thinking about value, not about volume. Today in marketing, what I think is really lost is that people are looking for what is the fastest way? How can I automate? How can I get in front of more people? Well, if you are a consultant, if you are an advisor, by definition, or I should say in most cases, not all, but in most cases, you don't need hundreds or thousands of clients. You need maybe a couple of handfuls, just depending on on what size your engagements are and where you want to grow to in terms of, of revenue and profits. But you should be thinking value. You should be really focusing on who is your true dream ideal client and then doing research on them, learning about what they care about, and then making sure that what you offer to these people before you ask for anything is all about giving value, delivering value, and starting off a real relationship as you would want to be treated. There's a lot of gold that you just shared there. And first of all, just reiterating what you were sharing about how this is a more sophisticated client, that this typical mass marketing advice that you hear that that is for consumer level and also for like, like the solo entrepreneur type, this is not going to work for a consulting company. It's cheap. It comes across as you're desperate, buy this right now. Like, you know, that energy. Mm-hmm. And you just cannot be marketing that way as a consultant. So I like what you were talking about with bringing the value first and being extremely specific. That's what we have found works really well too. And I also want to point out something too, is that, you know, this guy in, from Europe, he's actually willing to be investing, you know, $10,000 to be able to get a client. Now you have to be looking at how much can we actually pay to get a client and be able to have the trust that you're going to be, when you're creating it, you're going to be able to generate the success that you you need out of it. So many companies don't do that. Yeah. It's so critical to understand what is the value of a client to you. One of our clients asked during a community call that we did last week, said, you know, I have this opportunity to sponsor an event. Should I do it? And I was like, well, maybe, but you know, first of all, what's the fee to sponsor? Second of all, what do you get by investing that fee. Like if you pay for the sponsor, what do you receive from it? If it's just going to be your logo on some slides or things of that nature, the likelihood of generating a client or business from that is slim to none. But if whatever you're going to be investing, that gets you, for example, in front of the room, you get to give a presentation or you get to lead a panel or you get to whatever it is, there could be value in that. And so you need to think about if I make this investment, whatever that investment is, how likely is it that you will generate one client from that? or more. And so if let's just make it real simple, your average client value is $50,000 and you need to invest $5,000 or $10,000, but you're going to be in a position to land one client, if not at minimum, that would be a positive ROI. Now, we're not looking at what the profitability of that client is. There's other factors to consider here, but generally, if you can invest $10,000 to make $50,000, I mean, I would do that all day long. Not to mention that you're going to build a skill set or knowledge and know how of how to do something and then be able to replicate that or maybe that one client turns into three clients. And now all of a sudden, so what holds a lot of people back is they look at marketing as an expense. They don't view it as an investment. And if you can expand kind of your mindset, your belief in yourself and take some of those chances, take some of those risks, but well thought out and kind of you're looking at the upside and downside, like you're really thinking through it. That's where you really start to see growth. Well, and it's also looking at it from this perspective of like, which is more risky sitting there doing nothing or throwing money at something and learning something from it. Even if it doesn't get you the results that you run right away, you will learn a lot from it. That's generally a good mindset 
to consider, I mean, how are we thinking about the growth in our company in general? Because there's so many people who seem to think that they want to see the result first before they put in, in the work, the commitment. I'm like, I don't even know if it's going to work. So I don't, can't commit. That's kind of how people, a lot of people approach growing and scaling their companies. And here's the thing is I look at it as like a seed. If you want to have the tree, you've got to plant the seed. You have to, have to keep watering it. You have to expose it to sunlight. You know, you have to keep watering it before you see it sprout out of the ground. Yeah. Or we could take a step further and say, you have to actually first get the money to buy the seeds. Then you need to spend the money to buy the tools, right? You need to put the labor in to dig the hole. You got to spend money on fertilizer, which we all know has increased significantly with everything going on in the world, <laughs> right? So there's all these costs. Yeah, you would never say to yourself, well, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to buy the seed. I'm not going to buy the fertilizer. Like, have the nice rose bush or the nice apple tree. You know, I want that. And then if I see that, now I'm going to go and invest in like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, Yet yeah. from a business perspective, I think, you know, many people who, you know, they might not be originally minded entrepreneurs. Like they got into this business because they are experts in an area, but they weren't necessarily entrepreneurial to begin with. And now they've found themselves needing to become more entrepreneurial. And I see this a lot with consultants where they tend to be more conservative. They tend to be risk averse. Right? They've come from backgrounds in the corporate world or in, in organizations where they weren't always rewarded for taking big risks. It's like, if you're that nail that sticks up, you get knocked down. And so your job is on the line, the company's on the line, your team is on the line. And so you, you don't take these big bets. Now, I'm not saying that the consultants are not entrepreneurial. And we, we talk a lot about entrepreneurial consultants. But I, what I have seen is that people get into this position where they're very good at what they're doing. And so they have that technical knowledge or the scientific knowledge or whatever it is, they can deliver results. But the, on the business side of, well, okay, actually, do I actually need to make this investment? Do I need to invest in the CRM? Do I need to do these ads? Do I need to do this and that? And so that does take more belief. And you know, once you start doing it and you see that, okay, yeah, this investing in my marketing or investing in my business is actually paying off, you become more open to doing it and actually excited to do it more and more because you can then start to see that, well, by investing, I'm growing. So why wouldn't I just continue to invest more and more as a way to continue growing? Absolutely. And I think we've all been at that place and looking at things as an expense. Um, but I'm glad you shared some of those, that some of the thinking behind that and how being that nail that sticks up, you get you get put taken out sometimes. That really makes a lot of sense. I hadn't actually thought of it that way before. And I've seen how consultants can have this mindset that's a little bit different than some other entrepreneurs, which is really interesting because the barrier of entry to go and start a consulting company is to basically need a computer and your, your expertise in your computer or hopeful expertise, right? No. But compare and contrast, and the margins can be really high for a consulting mm -hmm. companies, especially when at first you're doing it all and you're generating a pretty high profit margin. And as you scale, the profit margin goes down, but you, the capacity for you to be able to generate growth with you working less and less also increases. Sure. But one of the things that I've seen though, is it's like, there's that mindset, there's like very little entry barrier. And then you go and take a look at, let's say if you're starting up a restaurant, you're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars before the door even opens. It could take mm -hmm. years to be profitable. And we're looking at razor thin profit margins on top of this. So it's just interesting how different the mindsets are with that. Totally. That's why I'm such a big fan and believer of building consulting businesses because it doesn't require a lot. Like You don't have to assume a ton of risk other than your own time. And if, and if you have expertise and if you can deliver value to people, there's massive opportunity. I mean, we see this a lot even from agencies who are, let's say, ad agencies or different, different types of agencies that want to get more into consulting because historically they have not really monetized 
their expertise or their, their strategic thinking. And so they tend to have just given that away to clients as part of the quote unquote package, but they realize that clients are desiring that more and more. And so, yeah, we see a lot of people who have just that they have an agency and they're either doing design work or whatever it might be, but they realize like, yeah, you know what, the profitability on my strategic thinking or strategic advice is actually a lot higher. Clients want that a lot more. How do we actually start to package what we're offering and focus more on that? I'm so glad you pointed it out. And that's one of the things we work with a lot of marketing agencies, as you know, and you're just delivering that, like, this is the deliverables. We're going to give you this ad campaign. We're going to run these ads for you. We're going to be doing this SEO for you. And it's based on deliverables and like hands work, right? But the problem is, is that as we have increased globalization, it's really easy to find somebody to do it cheaper. Mm -hmm. So that strategic work is a lot harder to replicate. And that creativity and being able to actually generate results, clients will pay a lot more for that. It's very sure. difficult to compete with that in those, those other countries. Yep. And if you increase the ability to provide or to guarantee results or to move towards a higher level of certainty that you can provide results, you can also then therefore charge higher, right? So clients typically exactly. will pay more for less risk. There's less risk involved. If you can remove risk from the equation, they will pay a lot more for that. Yeah. Let's talk about that actually, because when that's one of the things that we see is like, I love really pushing our clients to make guarantees, to make big, bold promises. And it's not always appropriate. Sure. Not every client it's going to be a fit for. And for some of our clients that are just completely overwhelmed with work, the last thing they need to do is, is mess with their sales process. That's already working really well. Yeah. But what have you found works really well to help that consultant really make that shift to really be taking on more of the risk for their clients? I mean, there's two very clear times or places where a guarantee or some form of a guarantee makes sense. The, the first is when you're just getting started. So at the earlier stages, you want to take on more risk as a way to win clients. Like you essentially want to remove all the risk for them and say, listen, here, try me out. I can provide this. If you don't see the results, like essentially you're not going to pay. If you can have a proposition like that, there's no downside to the buyer. Now, of course, there is some downside they're spending time, resources on that project where they could be doing other things. But still, if it's between you and somebody else and you come in with a very confident proposition like that, you're going to have a much higher chance of winning that business. So that's at the early stage. Then as you're becoming more established, there's always an opportunity to, again, remove the risk for the client. And typically when you are looking to remove risk, it also means that you need to do more. And that might mean that you're spending a bit more time. That might be meaning that you're getting more of your team to be involved. It might mean that you're just dedicating more resources to the project. But as you remove risk for the client, that also means that you get to increase your fees for the client. And as you, I think you said appropriately, Mandy, that it, a guarantee is not right for every single business. But in some cases, I think it's a great option to have as one of your options. So let's say that you go through your discovery offer, you get to a full engagement, you provide the client with three different options or even four in some cases that they can choose from. Well, one of those options might be an option where you're essentially, you are assuming the risk, removing the risk from the client. But because of that, you want, you know, you're going to be charging a premium. And so that premium mm -hmm. might come in the form of a performance, you know, guarantee where we will achieve these specific results or else. It could also be that you're going to take, let's say your, your typical base pay was $15,000 per month. Well, maybe it's only going to be $5,000 per month, which covers your costs, gives a little, a little smidgen of profitability on that client. But the real reason you're doing that is because you know there's so much upside. So you're saying, we're going to remove the risk for you. You pay this minimal base. You're going to pay 
a third of what a client typically would. But once we start to generate this specific result, then our payment is based on performance. And so now let's just say, as opposed to the project being worth a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe it's worth a million dollars for your firm, but you've assumed a lot more risk. The client is also happy because they don't have to take on that risk. And so as long as they're growing and seeing the result that they want, as long as it makes kind of economic sense, then they're willing to share some of that upside with you. That's what we found too. The more certainty that you can give your prospects, the easier it is to make the sale. And you talked about increasing your fees. And this is where I've really found that it's important to not just like increase it a smidgen, but really increase it to cover those risks that you're taking. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at it as like the risk that you have with this one client, look at it as insurance companies look at it. You share the risk. You look at it across 10 clients and saying, you know, how much is this going to increase our sales conversion rate? How much can this increase? How much we can actually charge? And then over the course of 10 clients, let's say we have to do a refund on one, right? Or does it still pan out? That's the calculation I like to use mm-hmm. to do it. But what what I have found is, is that I can't think of one example of clients who've had to, to do a refund. Yeah. Because usually a client is not looking like a, a buyer of consulting or advisory services is not looking for a refund. They're investing yeah. because they already feel compelled. I think the most important part is that as the consultant or as the provider, you should not be offering a guarantee unless you are you know, 99.99% sure that you can deliver on that guarantee. Right. If you feel that there's a chance that you won't be able to deliver, I believe ethically that you have the responsibility to tell the client that you may not be able to deliver, to be honest about that. But if you feel very certain that you can deliver, then a guarantee in many cases can provide a great advantage for you. And it, it just exudes confidence. And right. when buyers have a lot of choice, you being able to show up with, with full confidence does make a difference. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, the times where I have seen refunds and actually even refunds in our own company, and it's because we've chosen to give a refund. Like we've done the initial discovery phase that, that we do with our clients with our intensive and for whatever reason, we find other things that maybe they had kind of given us the wrong impression during mm-hmm. the initial enrollment process, or they turned out to be kind of a psycho and we're just like, please take your money and go away. You know, that, so that's one thing we've used 100% happiness guarantee. We've started using it at the beginning of the business just to get clients in the door right. and remove some of that friction. But we've been doing it now for 10 years. So it's working. Why would we stop doing it? That's one of the risk reversals that we use. Anyway. I completely agree with everything that you're saying. <laughs> Looking at this, you guys work with a lot of new consultants too, because I know we do have some people who listen and follow us who are newer consultants and need to get things started up and they're a little bit earlier than, than where we're at. What are some of the best ways for them to get started with getting to a consistency of up to a couple hundred thousand dollars a year? If you're at that place where you need to generate more growth, what should you do? What are some good steps moving forward with that? This is one thing that we see works really well for consultants, both who are earlier stages, as well as those who already have some team members, you know, might even be doing low seven figures. It's what we call network leverage. And this is about looking at who you know that you haven't had a conversation with in some time. And when we take people through this exercise, there's almost always opportunity. So just start off asking yourself, like make a, an exhaustive list, take an inventory of everyone that, that you know. And so think about past employers, vendors, colleagues, clients, your accountant, lawyers, just a big inventory. And then go through and ask yourself, well, when's the last time that you spoke to these people and told them what it is that you're actually doing right now, right? When people go through this exercise, they tend to find 
that there's many people on this list that they have not had a conversation with in some cases a year or two years. In other cases, it's been many, many months. And so typically, you know, you want to be in touch with people who can either, number one, be an ideal client or two, be an ideal referral source for you at least every couple of months, if not more often. And this is not about reaching out to people and saying, hey, buy my stuff. It's about checking in, seeing how they're doing, but also letting them know what it is that you are doing. So back to your question, Mandy, for those who are earlier stage, one of the biggest kind of low-hanging fruit opportunities that they have is to make sure that everybody that they know knows what it is that they're doing. When I say knows what they're doing, I'm referring to number one, knows who they are looking to work with. So who is your ideal client? Number two, what is the problem that you're helping them to solve? And number three, what is the result or outcome or value that that you are creating for these people? And you can mention a quick little example of somebody that you worked with recently, but doing that even as an email, and it'll be the format will be different depending on your relationship with that person. It might be a LinkedIn message. It might be a phone call. It might be a text message. It might be an, an email. But the key thing is to do this because when you let people know what it is that you're doing now, all of a sudden, they might need that, that help, that service, or they might meet somebody or know somebody that also needs it. And if they don't know what it is that you're doing, and if they don't really know what you're doing, they can't refer you business and they can't engage with you. And we've even seen this with consultants who work with a client and they deliver the project to that client and then they're done and they go away. Yet there's still additional value and services that consultant could provide that client and their company, but the client didn't know that that consultant has the capability to provide those other things. So the more that you can communicate and be very clear about who it is that you help, how you help them, the problems that you solve, the results and outcomes and value that you can create, the more business you will typically, at least the more conversations you will typically have. And then more of those conversations can turn into actual paid engagements. That's a great piece of advice. So for those of you who are listening, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, consultingsuccess.com is home to everything. <laughs> so you can check out the Consulting Success podcast there. We have a lot of articles and resources and studies that we do as well on a quarterly basis. And if anyone wants to dive deeper into some of, we have a collection of our kind of most popular articles and resources, and you go to consultingsuccess.com forward slash blueprint to get access to that for free. That is exceptional. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you sharing all these great wisdom and advice around, you know, how do you be able to generate more growth in your consulting company? My pleasure, Matty. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation as I always do.